this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome back. We are back in studio. I'm back from New York City and we are here to talk about a very special movie. A movie that I called perhaps the best movie of the year so far. It's Battle Angel Alita. We've got Emma Five. We're hype. Boom! Welcome to Popcorn Talk. Featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's action movie anatomy. Boom! You're like, do I have point? Do I We never tell anyone about any of our weird things that we do. What if we just been like, and you're on? Here we go. Ready to tell you all about this really great movie. Oh, hype. I'm so happy to be back. What's up, everybody? Action Movie Anatomy. We're back in the studio. I got on an airplane this morning at 7 from New York. Oh, sheesh. You you keep saying you're back and we're back like 15 times, and I'm like, I've just been here. Now, let me ask you, did you you fly into Burbank or into LAX? Into LAX. That's a journey. It was a it was a good one. I watched the second <laughs> half of A Simple Favor because I'd watched oh, the first yes. half last week. That movie's low key actually really good. Well, I don't even know it. It's the Paul Feig movie yeah. with Blake Lively and Anna oh, Kendrick. Oh, really? That yep. movie that like you and I were good. probably like never gonna watch. this. Yeah. And then Bibiani loves it, so then I was like, ah. and it's really good. Yeah. Really I'm shocked. Yeah. Anyway, you, so you were in New York this morning at what time? And what time did you leave? Uh, my flight left at seven, so four a.m. our time. Uh huh. Jeez. It was a uh, you're a champion. It was a long one. It was a I long slept one. till ten. Yeah, <laughs> good for you, um, guys. It's action movie anatomy. We're talking Battle Angel Alita, uh, or is it? Is it's it Alita, Alita, Alita colon Battle, Battle Angel. Angel. The comic book. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. The, the manga is Battle Angel Alita. Uh, in canon, it's actually. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, we're here to talk about this sweet movie. We got a special guest, Emma Fife. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm very excited to talk about this movie because I was shocked and delighted by how much I enjoyed it. We were too. I think we both walked out of there. We were just like, holy shit. I feel like if we were writing an article right now, the part of the page where like blown up with quotes would be shocked and delighted at how much they enjoyed it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And I think anybody who looked at the page would be like, that's about all I need to read because that's exactly how Mm -hmm. I feel, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and, 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 and we'll get into it as we move through the show, but the the massive difference between top critics and audience reviews is insane. We've never had this big of a gap, I don't think. Yeah, stay tuned, guys. We're going to get to that. It's literally the biggest gap we've ever seen on the show. So uh, coming up today on the show, we have a ton of cool things we're going to be talking about. Buying or selling the Alita franchise. Robert Rodriguez, overly sieged, underly sieged, properly sieged, answering Mm -hmm. some of your AMA questions. It's a big show. First and foremost, big shout out to our patrons, Philip Hunt, could be Felipe. I'm going to say Philip and Joshua Heath. <laughs> Boom! It's a salute from us. We salute you, Emma. There, yeah, yeah, there she is. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, we cover action movies on the show. We do. Those action movies here are four basic rules. Rule number one, the hero always plays by their own rules. In the mm. end, she absolutely does. A hundred percent. Oh, yeah. As soon as she starts to realize her power. Yeah, when she's punching and kicking with vigor. Oh, yeah. And I, and I think even more so than in the source material, they really, like, hone in on this idea of her being her own person. Something somebody said to me last night was, like, um, in the comic book... She stays relatively naive throughout, mm-hmm. and the choice they made in this is that they kind of make her evolve to become, like, kind of a smarter killer, like, in charge. They don't just, like, make her kind of naive the whole story, which I think is huh. a smart decision. Cause I do, too. it would have been bad if she continued to be like, the ooh, and then, like, punch. Like, that wouldn't have yeah, worked if she had yeah. done that the whole movie. Yeah. Um, rule number two, the hero and the villain are always the smartest people, beings, things, dinosaurs, what have you in the room. I think definitely. I mean, in the end, she is, mm. and so is Edward Norton's mole. <laughs> yes. There you go. Nice. This is a good one. Like that? That's going to be yeah. your best moment today. I don't know. I'm gonna, I, might, I might drop hell out again. We'll you're see. on a roll. Uh, rule number three the movie is driven by police, military, political, or mercenary figure. She's military. Wait, but yeah, they I, are. I, I was going to say, that's really honestly, you could argue any one of those for this film because uh-huh. you have the um, hunter warriors replacing the police. Yeah. You have the political system of Zalem up above. Yeah. Uh, and the sort of military presence. Of the how oh, the um the like big guardian robot things that I'm totally blanking Sen- on the name Sentinels? of Sentinels exactly yeah. that well, was like it'll come back to me and then also she was in the, yeah, military, the military like before yeah. kind of she could kind of be any one of them yeah. um, except for an MTA operator in the taking of Pelham one two three um, yeah. rule number four <laughs> the movie contains that. a minimum of one explosion bunch of explosions yeah, it's, tons of explosions it's produced by James Cameron guys yeah <laughs> <laughs> he probably like exploded something writing some of the scripts yeah. like, gotta do this um so those are the rules of action movie anatomy first and foremost where can the folks find you emma fife if they want to follow along with your exploits oh well i am all over the internet wherever emma fifes are sold at my name emma fife e-m-m-a-f-y-f-f we took it all we brought them to our land an endless night ember hot and icy cold the rage of the earth we made this curse Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. E, that is all Fs as in Frank for those who are listening and not watching. Yes, that's good. You guys can find me at Andrew Guy. Oh, sorry. What was that? I was going to say, those who are watching, I assume there's like a lower third sort of situation. So Probably. I hope Probably. so. <laughs> those of you on audio, you're going to have to just remember everything we're saying. Yes. Um, and uh, my name is Ben Bateman. You guys can find me at Ben Bateman Media. But more important than my name is the fact that Andrew and myself have announced something really exciting this last yes. week. Uh, there's so many things I want to talk about this. And for the full version of this, stay tuned for the end of the show. Mm-hmm. I think we'll probably go into some, some shout outs and thank yous. But just quickly... The brand name Action Industries, does that mean anything to you, Andrew? Oh, it sure does. We've got a team of amazing individuals working for us. We're basically trying to next level the show. We've been doing it for a very long time. Team Action kind of took off in the Schmodown. As Emma knows, that place is amazing. The fans there yeah. are so interactive, and it kind of uh, gave us the idea to start this this new venture. So Action Industries is something that's growing. Probably once we get into April, you guys will really see that in its full upright position, if I, you will. And I think to build on what you just said, working for us, I think really more completely because of how collaborative it is. It's more like working with us. We're all kind oh, of yeah. we're kind of taking this whole idea and right now there's so many different arms that we want to kind of reach out and make bigger. Um, we'll talk about some of the specific individuals that are helping us, but there's going to be some big stuff coming. So Action Industries, it's a it's a brand name to remember. Um, and it was launched and birthed here in this studio 
originally. Four years ago. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so uh, let's get into Battle Angel Alita, or Alita Battle Angel, as apparently it's called. Um, we're not going to watch the trailer, because yeah. we can't watch trailers anymore, because YouTube copyrights things. Yeah, they've been, they've been really kind of cracking down, so instead of uh, watching the trailer, we're just going to get right into our thesis statement. Thesis statement is your biggest, boldest thought about this film. It's that thing that if this movie comes up at a party, you're like, this is what I think about this movie. You say it, you believe it, and then you drop the mic, and, uh, and that's it. And you're that cool guy at the party that drops the mic. <laughs> like, like, that guy keeps coming up to me and talking about Alita Battle Angel, and I want him to leave me alone. <laughs> How did he get in here? Uh, and so we're going to each share it. should, you know, kind of be almost like hyperbolic, right? The best this, the only this, the first this. It should never just be, you know, my favorite part of Battle Angel is when she punches. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm going to hop in first because kay. I think I know the least about this in general like mm-hmm. i am like i'm just like joe you know i'm gonna go see a movie and oh alita looks fun and i had a really great time i, I don't draw know stars yeah i draw <laughs> stars I, I knew nothing about the subject material i hadn't read any of it um but i did know that it came from a manga so that being said um never have i been more excited to see a main character's true abilities in a film and mm. i'd say maybe the last time i thought about this was like Maybe in the Matrix, yeah. When you're like yeah. kind of watching Neo, but then uh, you know, I got a little bit of that first time watching the Matrix right? vibe from a lot of the fights yeah. in this, and it, in a really good way. Because you have no idea how powerful she is, and you start to see moments of it, and you're like, "Holy shit!" When Morpheus is like, he's starting to believe. You're like getting yeah. a little bit of that feel, totally. Yeah, yeah, totally. And like yeah. when she, and then when she finally puts on the suit, you know, like when he finally puts on the glasses for the first time, mm-hmm. and like he is. Oh, when she gets the berserker body. Yes, yeah. it's just it's so cool, and the amount of power that comes from what she does and I love that it's just her body and the way that she uses the like what I can't remember the exact verbiage they use but it's something about the momentum and the force in which they like use parts of their body it's stronger like it's the training yeah. that they learned and I, I just love that so uh, for me I haven't been that excited to see what a main character could actually do in a movie since I think maybe the Matrix but probably ever it's like that and Born yeah. are like the ones where mm. you're like yeah. you can remember, but that's always such a good reveal—the the hint, the hint, the hint—and then and also since we know that where it is coming from, you know, in the world of anime and manga, there's the there's endless possibilities. So right. I had no idea how powerful she was going to be, you know. Yeah. So. That's mine. Definitely. Emma, what you got? Mine is, is again, being somebody that is very deeply entrenched in the yes. world of anime and manga. My thesis statement is... Uh, Top three most successful, and I don't mean most successful in terms of box office, because I mean, let's leave it a little bit desired right now, but most successful in terms of adaptation, uh, adaptation of a Japanese property by Westerners ever. Yeah. Yeah. So top three adaptation of a, of a Japanese yeah, top, property top, by Westerners. Yeah, top, I was going to say, like, top three most successful Western adaptations of a Japanese property. Yeah, which is, which is, there's, it actually turns out there's a ton of like yes. oh, oh absolutely because even everything like like even like edge of tomorrow is mm-hmm. yeah, like there's like a lot of these that like and actually that's a pretty interesting comparison now that i think about it yeah. that's probably similar edge yeah. of tomorrow when you saw the trailers well actually the trailer is amazing in that movie but yeah. <laughs> in most people i feel like saw like the billboards and were like this movie is gonna be terrible what is this same kind of deal you walked out of it, like that movie was awesome yeah um and it's so okay. So to speak a little bit more on the subject, Michelle, because I know both of you guys are familiar with it. You've read it, and, mm-hmm. and you were both obviously while we're here. We love the movie. <laughs> <clears throat> There's so many people that know it very well, and they were so disappointed by it. But but it sounded like they did a really good job of of kind of portraying her and kind of telling the story and yeah. even the love story. And there's an era 
of there's an era with like manga, anime, adaptations, comic books, probably somewhere around the turn of the century. That's like, and that's what I was reading them. Where sure. it became, it became very popular. It was very en vogue. Mm-hmm. There was like, you know, this Neon Genesis Evangelion, Trigun, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Where, and it just this was one of the main ones people talked about. I think there was like seven or eight books at the time at the, of the manga. Yeah, I think you're right. And I read them all. And I don't. It's been so long now. I don't sure. remember that much about them. But I did read them all, and I loved them all. And there's moments in this movie that are taken straight off the page. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the moments that, for whatever reason, had always stuck with me from the manga. They actually translated mm. exactly into this, yeah. and they were the, some of the strongest moments. I totally agree. I mean, it, it's it, and it's the thing of like her and Hugo or Hugo in in this movie. His name is translated different ways. Uh, Ultimately, Hugo. it's the it's the same name. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, like with that, the scene of them looking up at Zalem, and then certainly towards the end of the film with him like climbing the up pipe? the pipeway. I remember that so cool. Cool. And the yeah. scene where he's falling and she's holding <clears throat> like that is straight out of the manga, yeah. and that's in the OVA as well. Um, and I think that for me, what this movie does incredibly well is the thing that all of my favorite live-action Japanese adaptations of of manga or of anime do extremely well, which is, like, for example, one of my favorite live-action adaptations. It's a series. It's not a film, but it's the live-action version of Sailor Moon. Mm. It's so good. The special effects are terrible. Uh, <laughs> it's real cheesy, but once you get over that, what it does is it takes the source material, and yes, it changes things, but in a way that shifts the focus to be the relationship between the characters, which is exactly what this film did. Which so is what you need I, in film. I loved it. Yeah. yeah. Two comments. Um, one, I agree with you. Two, Andrew, how much money would you have to make right now to sing every word of the Sailor Moon theme song? <laughs> a, do you know all the words? I don't know all the words. <laughs> but I do remember watching it with my good friend Kevin Shintaku every day after school. <laughs> I was just thinking about, actually, if you had asked me that question, I think I could get close, but I'll bet you I'd miss a few. I bet you you could probably do it. Tuxedo, Would you like Tuxedo to... Mask? There were some yeah. good characters there. Okay, I, what's I... your thesis? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're moving along. I do not want you to sing Sailor Moon. Yeah, okay. I really do. Uh, <laughs> we do another show called The Action Guys. Tune into that show. Uh, no, um, my, my thesis is going to be this is the most surprising science fiction movie theater experience I've ever had. Um, and I think... I was trying to like define is that a strong enough thesis, and I think it is because mm-hmm. first of all, science fiction films in general marketing can be really hard. Um, it's one of the genres that that Hollywood struggles to make us interested in. And you'll watch something take like a Ghost in a Shell, which is a great example of this not working at all. Yes, yes. I've, I, I didn't see it, but I've heard the movie was so like it didn't have any of the buzz that this movie has where. Half the people that are seeing this movie is like it's so above average, you have to see it. Yeah, everybody about Ghost in a Shell was just sort of like. It's it fine. You existed. just don't really need to watch it. Yeah. And like, you know, you mentioned Annihilation when I said that before the show. Yeah. I think out of Annihilation, even though I wasn't sure if it was going to be quality, I got enough of what I wanted out of that movie that it felt close yeah. to what I expected. I literally went into this movie thinking like, I've been hearing about this for years. This got delayed, delayed, delayed. Yeah. It's produced by Cameron, but it, it had so many similarities <laughs> um, kind of in spirit to Mortal Engines. Like... Again, a giant director's name attached. Totally. He didn't actually direct it. You know, this huge epic thing that, that had been delayed that seemingly when the trailer first dropped kind of felt like it almost came out of nowhere, even though we knew it existed. Yeah. And it just worked. Yeah. I don't know. I walked out of it just thinking to myself, like, that. I would recommend that movie. That movie was totally awesome. Yeah. 
I, yeah. I loved it, but I get it. I mean, like, I, I my mom and her significant other went and watched it, and he mm-hmm. was like, this cartoon is just kind of weird, and my mom absolutely loved it. Yeah. And it, so it's, just, I, I get it. It doesn't speak to everyone, but I still, as we move through the show, yeah. I, I still don't understand the conversations we're going to have later. My, uh, my parents are both big sci-fi fans, and yeah. they really enjoyed it. <laughs> so, it's, I mean, it's beautifully yeah. done, and... And and it, and I agree with you, Ben, on the surprising statement because I think that, you know, obviously this movie was announced a long time ago, back in like two thousand three. Yeah, I think was yeah. as early as the conversations like the were same happening. Time on goes it. when the show got announced. Um, and, uh, and and it took forever for it to actually come to fruition. And so obviously it was on my radar for a long time. And then I think when I started to see the marketing for it, I was so off put. By how Rosa Salazar looked yeah, in the movie. Yeah. I was like, why are they doing that? But in the film, yeah. it works. What a weird choice, right? It's like, okay, so yeah. Strange. So that was another thing I was going to ask. This is great because I'm just going to ask you guys questions. Is she just, does she just look like everyone else in the comics? She's a manga character. They right. all have giant <laughs> eyes like that. Right. But I mean, I mean, like, uh, in the sense, like, she doesn't look like a different world or no. like a different being no like she she's does in very the movie. tiny right she's very tiny but other than that i i, I never interpreted it that way anyhow because well, the idea is is that these 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 people are supposed to look exactly like like hugo can immediately tell that she's or he can't immediately tell until she does something that she is like cyborg because sure. she, they look so but the thing is that i think they don't necessarily show super well in the trailer is the fact that there's kind of a big representation in terms of what people look like in this world in Iron City where so many people are like 90% cyborg. Right. And that's the interesting thing, right? It's like you see somebody who's got like a crazy, you know, weapon for an arm or something. Yeah. It's like, who's to say her eyes didn't just get enlarged? Like, right. I don't know. Like yeah. she, the people look kind of weird. So I, I think that that's, I think that's why, but from a marketing perspective, the choice to make that that way had to have been Somebody early on had to insist on it. Mm. And I think so much of the success of this movie, really, you have to just credit to Rosa Salazar because if she hadn't been as endearing as she was, this movie just wouldn't have worked. Yeah, she was was outstanding. She was so perfectly, like, awkward and, like, not comfortable in her own skin but trying to figure out who she was. She's she's actually, like, I think she's my age. I think she's in her early 30s. Um, But she plays this character who, yeah, she's a total badass, but at the end of the day, she's a teenage girl. Yes, and she's exactly. an incredibly realistic portrayal of a teenage girl, even though like she can destroy anyone or anything. Which so is what's so, so interesting. Amazing yeah. about it, right? Because she's this killing machine on one side, but then on the other side of it, she's like, I'll give you my heart. Yeah. And it's like, no! Like everyone <laughs> no, theater's don't like, do don't that. give that away. Yeah. But it's you know? but it's so accurate as I mean, I I'm sure it's the same for teenage boys that like this the amount that you feel things in such a oh, short amount yes. of time. Because I mean, and there's that conversation that she has with Dr. Ito early on where he's basically like, Yeah, I mean, you're you've got a brain of a normal, if you can call any teenage girl normal, yeah. teenage brain. Right. Yeah, so interesting. So, guys, next up on the show, we have fist bump moments. This is the uh, moments yeah. of the half oh, yeah. movie. You kind of look around. You're like, are you seeing this right now? Yeah. This is so good. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes, if Drew and I are actually lucky enough to see the film in the theater together anymore, it's the look over actual one of these. <laughs> oh, um, and that's always the best. But, you know, you call your buddy on the phone. You're like, you got to turn this movie on. This movie had some real good There was ones. numerous ones. Uh, let's let Emma go first. What okay, was your moment? Mine was that first fight she has when she discovers that Dr. Ito is a hunter warrior the, and he gets set LA. up for the 
trap in I the alleyway. I was so worried that he was going to be a bad guy. Yeah, uh, I yeah. was so happy well, he and, wasn't. And that's another thing that I thought the movie did really well. Like, actually, in some ways, better than the manga. Because it, it happens so much faster in the manga that they get to, oh, he's a hunter-warrior. You didn't um, get, like, the and I love the way I love the way they built up the suspense in the movie of, like, oh, is he a bad guy? I mean, I knew he wasn't, but I, right. I thought they did such a good job with that. Um, no, it's it's totally that fight in the alleyway where um, she first faces off uh, against Gruishka and the other two cyborgs that are there. It just... Because, again, like, it was straight out of a manga. You know what I mean? Yes. Like the like the girl like jumping up on the wall and having that like spider moment and revealing <laughs> her body. It was completely ridiculous, but for me I was it just worked. Yeah. It worked in the context of the world that they had built and um and it was just great to finally see Alita really get to kick ass. She was yeah, I agree. So I think my fist pump moment was is uh it's the moment when she's realizing that she knows all the moves. Oh, the Pandacanus. She's in, yeah. and she's in the mirror doing all the. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know why, but I was just like, oh, this movie's about to get so sweet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> like it just was so exciting, and like, I mean, there's so many others in this movie. Honestly, the action was pretty top notch. People don't watch this show, I think, necessarily as much as you'd expect for us to be like actually action experts because yeah. we'll cover everything from like sci-fi to, to like, yeah. dramas like we also just don't focus on the action that much often the old movies we cover the actions age really badly so it's about the moments between the action that sell it but this movie truly honestly works mostly because the action's so badass oh for sure i mean even from the first what's the game called again uh, oh, kit- motorball! Motorball, yeah. yeah, yeah. Even from the first time she plays motorball in in, the, in like a little park, and you're like, oh, she's about to destroy this dude. Yeah, you know, like it's awesome. And she plays against the kid from Love Simon, and yeah. also Bumblebee, who's uh, in everything, yes. in everything, literally in everything. Yeah, yeah. I, good, good, good on him, man. He must be so happy. Uh, for me, my fist pump. Well, there's, I think I just got to go with "fuck your mercy." <laughs> Which is, like, like, hard because I, for, I'm sure we've all considered that as a favorite line. Right. Yes. It's just yeah, yeah. so good. But I think we all knew at that moment when she was basically just down to nothing. You're like, she's still going to win this fight. Yeah, of course. Like, she's on the now she's going to yeah. do it. And she lands on the one hand. You're like, oh. Yeah. yeah it's I, coming. I liked how, um, like, acrobatic her fighting style yes. was. Yeah. It just It was so cool. The other thing I absolutely loved was from the moment that you saw, uh, forgive me with all the names, what's the, uh, the, the, the Bad Hunter Killer's name? Oh, after Hugo, uh, they got the oh, sword. Zipan? Yeah, Zapan. Yeah. When when she's like fighting. Well, first of all, when she's fighting everyone in the bar, which is is awesome. No, that was that scene was incredible. So yeah. badass. Incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when he busts out the sword, and you're like, "That's her sword." Yeah. You need oh, to give yeah. her a sword. Yeah, back. the, the damage blade. Yes. Oh, and her finally getting it from oh, him was so, so satisfying. Yes. When she cuts his face off. Oh, what, oh. what a good moment. Yes. Ed Screen was a. Great, 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 great oh, performance. Oh, there. him and Jackie Earl Haley were amazing. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, Ed Screen was such a good choice for yes. that part of yeah. like the kind of self-obsessed pretty boy. Like, oh, so good. I'm pretty yeah. sure like 12 years ago that would have been Guy Pierce. Sure, positively. 100. Oh, yeah. Right, like, yeah. like the punch me face mm-hmm. is like. A yeah, oh, he's so punchable. Yeah. Oh, he is. Yeah, and then when she kicks the sword into the wall, yeah. and it like goes like two feet into the wall, you're like, oh my oh, god, yeah. where is she gonna get it? Yep. Yeah, that's yeah, it my sweet. fist bump. I mean, yeah, the movie hit. The movie hit a lot of beats. Like the funny part about action movies is that even though like this movie has great character building, you know, action movies are pretty formulaic and the beats they have to hit. Like, mm. When yeah. you when you want to make a character like her work, you have to kind of you have to pace it out. So that yeah. when she does get the sword, it's a big reveal. When she gets her powers, it's a big reveal. Her final battle, it all has to work, and like. This movie just managed to hit enough of the beats that kept me super engaged the whole time. And what's great about it, too, is is that since she is so kind of indestructible, you have people like Zapan going after 
people that's not her you know like things that she can't protect like she can't protect he's hugo's not indestructible ito's not indestructible so i like that instead of it just always being like the the troubles following alita it's like people around her because she does yeah. seem indestructible you know sure. so it's nice to I, I like that i think it added suspense and drama to the yeah. film yeah so continue to move through the show guys those are gonna be our fist pump moments share yours in the chat oh wow there's some good ones in here actually let's share let's share a couple fist pump moments. oh yeah i want to hear uh let's see we've got uh xanathros says bar scene for sure oh uh, Paul Paul Denuza, one of his here. Uh, I got Paul and Richard to share these. When she learned that all the motorballers are against her and trying to kill her, and she's just like, "All right, yeah. let's do yes, this." Yes, that yeah. was dope. She, she just, like, just started taking them out. Yeah. Oh, it was so good. Yeah, uh, Richard says a fist bump when Alita goes in to save the dog from the mech. It's the first time we see her take her battle stance, and it's oh, oh yeah, hella sweet. He says. It is hella sweet. The dog, <laughs> the poor dog. I know. The dog is also straight out of the manga. Oh, is like it? the dog is in the manga. Def- yeah, and it's definitely in the OVA because I just rewatched it. So Ugh, yeah. that's horrible. And then the last one here from Belford, uh, the look on Mahershala Ali's face when she finally kills Gruishka, which I love that Ugh. she just cuts him in half. Yeah. Like, oh, it's so good. Uh, all right, so moving on through the show, we're going to get into star profiles. I didn't even know who Rosa Salazar was, nor did I. Yeah. I'll be honest. I, I was completely ignorant to who she is. She is a big-time TV actress. She's been a... Uh, a recurring substantial character on shows such as American Horror Story, Parenthood. Yeah, I remember um, from Parenthood. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't ever check that mm. out, but I heard good things. Um, uh, Man Seeking Woman, and she was also a big part of the College Humor Originals uh, series, which she was on for a couple years. Um, and then she went and joined the Maze Runner series, which she's she's been a part of that entire series. Maze Runner: The Death Cure, the very first film I ever reviewed officially for Nerds and Suits, and I launched it last year. I saw that in a theater uh, in a special screening. And what would you think of it? Oh, it was lovely. Um, <laughs> Uh, I watched the first and second Maze Runner films in in anticipation of that movie. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't remember her in this movie, though. I'm pretty medium on the franchise as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty medium on Maze Runner, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Kindergarten Teacher in 2018, and of course, the Netflix phenomenon Bird Box, which I still haven't watched. You know, that brings to mind a question I have for you guys, as, as people who are in the movie space, but also mm. who interact with the Schmodown audience, you know, where we kind of clearly have to define in our minds. She got killed five minutes oh, ago yeah. in Horror Story, apparently. What, yeah. is, you know, what is a real movie and what's not? And I think something that's really interesting to me is as Netflix kind of rolls more and more into these original movies, at what point are these Netflix movies, these Netflix originals with major actors in them going to start to feel like they, even if they don't have a theatrical release, they're like essential. Like you you have to have yeah. seen them, otherwise you've missed something. And, and to this point, like Bird Box I, is closed yeah, for me. Yeah. yeah. So is Roma. Yeah, yeah oh, Roma's I mean, going to be totally. the biggest. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it is. It's, it's a really interesting conversation. And obviously, you know, coming out of Sundance this year, you have these companies like like Netflix putting these huge bids on these films like the um the Ted Bundy biopic right. Right. like after the success of the Ted Bundy tapes uh the docu series that Netflix did they paid a ton of money to get the licensing rights. You're talking about the Zac Efron yeah, one? Zac Efron. Yeah, Zac Efron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Extremely, like and, and shockingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So it, it, it's, it is really interesting to see sort of the, the direction that these things are going to go. Yeah, it makes me wonder if at a certain point, for the sake of like, like Drew and I were talking a little bit about this actually, you know, uh, the MCU and Pixar kind of is just two piece, like I guess the mm-hmm. brands you would say that took an already established piece of something and, and really made it like blue chip, like you yeah. know, Pixar's blue chip, right? MCU's blue chip. At a certain point, is Netflix going to sort of be that thing where like this this series of fifty Netflix original films? These are this blue chip run, this golden age of Netflix original content where they were just buying the best stuff. And well, I wonder. What's fascinating about Netflix is there's so much 
so much out there and there's still a lot of bad like really yeah. really bad netflix yeah, originals sure. but i think because the quantity is so high and that they still have these things like roma like bird box like bandersnatch for instance that people mm-hmm. are just want to pay attention to i don't think it actually matters that they have bad entities yeah they can just keep doing it it doesn't yeah. cost it, well because i mean it's like any studio releases some bad movies oh, yeah. and some good movies yeah. so you know I, and and i think also with um netflix they're starting at such a Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, all of them are, are starting this huge sort of advantage of they've already produced really good original television series. Yeah, yeah. So it, I think people go into it expecting like, oh, well, maybe this Netflix movie is actually going to be good. Right. Yeah. And do you think and so like moving it forward like next year? Since Roma is kind of the first example, because Roma oh, was yeah. only released on Netflix, right? And then it uh, got it had theatrical. Yeah, small. theatrical yeah. release. Did it get theatrical yeah. after or before? I think concurrently. Okay. Yeah. It's one of those things where currently the rules are you have to have it released in a certain number of theaters right. to be eligible. So and what so... happens if, let's say, like next year a movie comes out, or like let's say a movie came out on Netflix like today that kind of was like under the radar, but in like two months people start losing their shit, and then in six months they're like, we need it, we need this to be in theaters so that we can have it yeah. looked at for next year's so, Academy so Awards. Yeah. So then just Distribution starts to be a thing where Netflix probably has to. I, I mean, that's that's the thing. Is like we're all pretty aware of this business. Mm-hmm. The paradigm is shifting, and so I that that's, that definitely is. I don't want to go crazy. too far down this now, just no. because we you know we want to focus here. But yeah, yeah. As far as the conversation of that that yeah. like MCU versus Pixar, we'll probably we're going to be talking about that a little bit on the Action Guys. Stay tuned for that on Friday over on Collider Podcasts. But yeah. uh, especially because this movie you need to see on the biggest screen you can possibly yeah, see it on. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I love. I, it was one of my favorite 3D experiences. Again, I know, of course, and I'm James not. Cameron. I'm like not that Hate into it. 3D, but. This movie was incredible in 3D. Yeah, I think I even said in my review <clears throat> that you need to see this in 3D, yeah. and, I, and I hate 3D. So uh, going back to Christoph Waltz, yes, or, or I mean the characters in this movie. So Christoph Waltz, I, again, a lot of people were really happy to see him playing a, a character that wasn't a villain or wasn't like a super quirky, weird. He was just yeah. like a, yeah. a character. Uh, he was like a great dad character. So the last three movies he's been in, he was in Legend of Tarzan, which I actually didn't see. I heard it was Nor okay. It was all right. It was all right. Yeah. Uh, Tulip Fever and then Downsizing, which I heard is kind of like Alexander Payne's like beginning of the end, maybe. That's oh, him, in terms right? of his in terms of his career, his, yeah, just like his writing in general. Mm. Like I, I heard it was like a great idea, but then it kind of fell flat. I didn't see any of them, honestly. Weirdly enough, I missed <clears throat> Tarzan and Downsizing. They both felt like movies I should have watched. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's enough on these guys. We know a lot about them. Rosa Salazar is definitely the the standout performance in this movie. She was yeah, incredible. Which is not to take away from Christoph Waltz no. as Doctor Rito. He was great. Yeah, but he's pleasing. Yeah, and I mean he was great. Jennifer Connelly was great. Uh, Marshall Ali yeah. just can basically do no wrong. Um, it seems Edward so far. Edward Norton's mole was really good. Yeah, yeah. Marshall has just been killing it. He's, he's been in everything. He makes. A, I have to say, Marshall plays a great bad guy. He does. He's, sweet. he's, he's a, a very great good bad, bad guy. guy. Yeah, yeah. So uh, continue. Let's, let's go through a little bit of the production development here. Yeah, we can kind of skip over Cameron. I feel like everyone knows At everything this point, about him. Who like, James Cameron is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we've talked about him a million times. Talked as about well. him last week on uh, on Avatar. Of yes, course, we did. Yeah. Um, a couple things that are more interesting here. So uh, Laida Cal. Hello, Gritis. I'm mm. sorry if you're watching. Um, <laughs> I butchered your name. Patreon names. That is. Yeah, yes, exactly. Is. Uh, so she is a uh, she's a, just a, a writer that's kind of been around for the last like 15 years. She did Alexander. She did the Night Watch. She did Pathfinder in 2007 and Shutter Island, which I think was pretty pretty interesting. Scorsese Shutter Island. Um, she was also an executive producer on Birds of Prey and Bionic Woman on TV. She co-wrote the screenplay for Terminator Genesis, which I didn't hate that movie as, as much as a lot of people did. Um, 
And, uh, and of course, this and Altered Carbon are yes. two things she's also mm. been involved with. Yukito Kishiro is the original writer, which I think is what I think is so amazing about him is he has like the Paul Thomas Anderson effect. Uh, so he was born in 67 and he was raised in Chiba, which I actually visited when I was in Tokyo and I mm. loved it. But as a teenager, he was majorly influenced by mecha anime like Armored Trooper Voltoms and Mobile Gundam Suit, or excuse me, Mobile Suit Gundam, which I loved watching that show on Cartoon Network. All the iterations <laughs> of it. All the ones. All, Gundam Wing. Was there, yeah, I watched all of them. Yes. What else did they show on there? I think Double Zero. Yep, yep. I like Gundam a yep, lot. Me and Kevin Shintaku, <laughs> once again, my boy. Uh, but what was so cool is he started his career at 17 uh, with, a space oddity, with Space Oddity, his mm. debut manga, which was in the weekly Shonen Sunday. I don't know if that was like a it's a publication. Yeah. I, I mean, in, in Japan, basically, there's tons of publications that publish, um, like, one chapter of manga every single week. Okay, so, gotcha. okay yeah. that's cool. Yeah, so he got in there when he was 17, and then he wrote Alita, or Battle Angel Alita, when he was 23. So that's, I mean, I can't even imagine writing this seven years ago. So uh, before we skip on to Robert Rodriguez, is there anything that you guys want to share about the subject material that you feel like anyone needs to know? Or is there anything that, like, didn't work for you in the movie that they missed? Or is there things that they did differently in the movie that you think worked better than in there? I think, well, the the most interesting parts to me about the the adaptation of this is mm-hmm. that, like, we're we're in this moment right now where Western culture taking adaptations from, say, China or Japan it's kind of at an all-time high, right? You look at yeah. something like The Meg and, and how much of the production that went into that movie that was foreign. And the idea is that you're, or, or Pacific Rim Uprising, right? You're marketing these movies overseas largely. The whole point is that you're going to make a lot of money in China, you're going to make a lot of money in Japan. And so it feels like right now is the moment to take these adaptations, make them kind of friendly for overseas, but in America, and they're going to make a lot of their money back. And I think this movie working is a little bit of a precursor to something we're probably going to see more of, which is I don't think that these studios are going to be as afraid to take a chance on these adaptations as they used to be. Seeing a Neon Genesis Evangelion produced in America possibly as like a three movie or a five movie series wouldn't surprise me. No, it Hmm. wouldn't surprise me either. I I think too, you know, obviously, like I was saying that... I think that this was really successful for me in the way that it kind of adapted some of the characters' relationships. So the whole storyline of uh, Dr. Ito and Shirin having been previously married and had a child, that's oh. all made up for this movie. For this movie. Oh, yeah. really? Yes, okay, it is. Cool. Um, Interesting. And so I actually kind of like that. And, and that's the thing, is yeah. I liked it too. There are people that, that can't get away from the source material that'll be like, that's not right, and right. they didn't need to add that. And I'm sort of of the they didn't need to add it opinion, but I thought it worked really well because again, they were just giving people a more more of an emotional drive and uh, and motivation in a short period of time because yeah. you're working with a film. Uh, overall, I really liked actually that Sharon was sort of less malicious uh, than she is in the OVA. In the OVA, she's like. Very evil. Yeah. Um, but I mean, has the same exact ending of she has a change of heart. She helps um, uh, Alita do the surgery or Galley do the surgery to put the heart in um, uh, Yugo so that he is able to live long enough to get a cyborg body. Um, I love that. But yeah, yeah that sweet. and that's that's all that's straight out of them out of the the source material. So it's like, I, I, but I it, it was interesting that they made her, they made her more sympathetic. I felt early on like she seemed more aloof in the movie yeah. and like in the in in the OVA she's like very aggressive I think it, I think it actually worked better because I think if she was too cardboard like bad girl yeah, she bad was, woman uh, yeah. it, wouldn't have, it wouldn't have really worked Yeah like, totally and I loved I 
absolutely loved every choice with Vector in this, the character that Marshall yeah, Ali yeah. plays, is he was so much more compelling as a villain to me than he is in the source material. Because, again, with the source material, you've got you've got a longer, stretched out period of time. So, like, characters, there are some characters that are in the movie that are from, like, later parts in the story. Mm. Um, but they kind of mishmashed it together, I thought, in a way that worked well and was fairly cohesive. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I really liked that that Vector was less of a like mustache twirling villain is not really the right way to I describe him. I get what you're him. saying though, because he had he has moments of compassion in the movie, and he yeah. has moments of kind of like where you almost like when he talks about being a king down here as opposed to a slave up there sure. or whatever. And it's like you're kind of a part of the system as well. Like you can't I, get out of it either. I think what it was is that I felt like people were being more manipulated by him yeah. like he was so much more charming than that character came across to me in previous iterations um in a way that just really worked and i mean a lot of that is is credit to Marshall Ali yeah, of course some, some of that is just he's just, awesome. just, he's just awesome yeah. that guy is like he's kind of having one of those moments because like yeah. we're seven episodes into true detective season three and yeah it's, it's really good he's just I've great and, and like it's actually just like a master class of acting by him is really what it's about because he's getting to play three timelines right and just the whole show is just he's so good in it and yeah, and he was great in this, and he, and, you know, Green Book is so. Yeah. I, I'm just happy for the dude. I, I love watching him. I love watching him on screen. Yeah. So I, I have to tell you, I didn't actually realize he was in this movie. I, I just went because again, I was like so whatever about it, and I just went in to see it, and then like the car door opened, and I was like, "What? Is that Marshall? Is that Marshall? <laughs> yeah, what is he doing yeah. here?" Uh, so Robert Arida, R- Rodriguez, excuse me, directed this movie, and I actually heard that Cameron kind of stepped away early on in production. And most of what we actually saw on screen is because and accredited to Robert Rodriguez. Now, I can't actually speak on that uh, because I don't know. And it's always tough with movies when they've only been out for a couple weeks to get down to the nitty gritty of the production details. So um, just a quick history on Robert Rodriguez. You guys know about him from his El Mariachi uh, trilogy or series, (laughs) if you will, uh, which I absolutely adore and love. Mm -hmm. Uh, He started that in 1992. Um, That movie cost $7,000 to make, and it grossed $2 million, which spawned the two sequels in Desperado and Once Upon a Time in Mexico. From there, he wanted Dust Till Dawn, Sin City, you know, the Spy Kids films. We're all pretty familiar with Robert Mm -hmm. Rodriguez. That being said, um, he hasn't been on people's tongues a lot lately. He really no. hasn't been making a lot of big Mm-mm. properties. You know, the El Rey network has been kind of an interesting, like, late-night, you know, cable network that sometimes people watch maybe when they're stoned or good, <laughs> working at a bar. A couple of our friends were on that show. Yeah. Uh, what, El, Ma- Matador? El, Mat- oh, El Matador? El Matador, yeah. yeah. And, and um, like, you know, that show came and went. Like, that network has been just sort of like... And you're like, what is this? Like, you know, our good friend Johnny Cruz, Christina Ochoa was on there. And that was like they were acting alongside Alfred Molina. You know, and you're just like, holy. It'll be really interesting, I think, to see now with again, it's it's so interesting. And we're going to get into later the the critical response versus the fan response to this film. But like the the user audience rating of it, it'll be interesting to see if that's going to like drive more people in the direction of El Rey because they're like, man, like Robert Rodriguez made this surprisingly right. good film. If he's doing this, then where else can I find yeah. it being awesome? Where I think Robert Rodriguez is so interesting is that he's a director who has always had enough style in his in his direction in the movies yeah. he's, he's a part of that you look at what he's done and it's like, sure, the, the Mexico trilogy, but he also did, you know, Sin City. Uh, he also did, you know, Adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl. He did Planet Terror, Machete. Yeah, yeah, the faculty, right? He did oh, like... the faculty. 
Gold. There's spy enough, kids. There's like, something interesting about what he does. Sure. You know, like Johnny Depp being blind in a hitman at one point, or like still fighting. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, there's just something very interesting about the way he films movies. So that's why today on the show we're going to be talking about whether or not we believe Robert Rodriguez is overly sieged, underly sieged, or properly sieged. And I don't know who, who wants to hop in first. Jeez, I think probably realistically at this point, I would have to say he's under sieged. Yeah, I, because because in reality, it's funny talking about it now that we think about it. But like the style that he brings to his movies, where all the characters are like cool and there's a gun and a guitar case, yeah, yeah right. It's fucking perfect for Alita. It like, is. It's exactly yeah. what it, it's exactly what a manga looks like. It's like all the all the things that are unnecessarily cool. Yes, it's perfect for this movie. Yeah. So of course he would work as an action director who can make things like just like shiny and badass and like a little silly, but also totally awesome. And yeah. I think it just the fact that he can make Spy Kids work and he can also make this work and he he can also make El Mariachi work with. No money, yeah. The guy's got to be underrated because he's not considered to be an A-list director by any yeah, means. Yeah, that's at this point. no, that is true. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm leaning on the side of under for sure because, as you say, it's like he's, we're not giving him enough credit for right. doing something very particular extremely well. And, and again, you talk about this idea of these like <laughs> two cool characters and these very silly things, but he does have a way of creating a cohesive style within a film wherein all of that works. Yeah. Sin City's like pretty underrated too. I love yeah, Sin City. I love Sin City. Yeah, I absolutely love it. And I also love that there was a lot of um, lines and moments in this movie that were cliche in the sense of like a, a person falling in love with a cyborg yeah you know yeah but they were still executed well like uh, the, oh, the yeah. shot out in the rain was beautiful and it was like i've seen this in spider-man i've seen this in, in like xyz i've seen this like 10 times yeah and i know what he's gonna say i know what she you're more human than some humans i've met but yeah. I, I loved it it was <laughs> shot and directed well Just out of yeah. 2049 yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. it was beautiful so um, <clears throat> I agree. I think I completely agree. Like, I, I love Rodriguez. I was going to say this is my favorite movie he's ever done, but it's tough because I really do love Sin City. I love I, I love Desperado, honestly. I, it's like one of my old favorites. So coming up next on the show, um, Marissa, can you cue the clip of the sex scene from Desperado? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just kidding. 12-year-old, I was like, oh, my God, what's happening? I was, like, very uncomfortable. The, the most, like, gratuitous, unnecessary yes, sex scene. Totally like, what is this? Um, uh, so this is where this gets really interesting. Yeah. Right, critical and box office. Ben and I, and, and Emma's mentioned it many, many times throughout this episode. So, this movie is a flop. It's a flop all the way Total across flop. the board. It cost 170 million dollars for Fox to make it. It was released two weeks ago, February 14th, or yeah, around no, a week ago. A week ago, a week excuse ago. me, one week ago. February uh, is a short month. Yes, <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, domestically, 42 million dollars. Foreign and worldwide, 94 for a grand total of 137 million dollars. Yeah. And it only opened, uh, it, apparently it was number one at the worst President's Day it weekend was. in history at yep. $28 million. IMDb gives us a, a 7.6, which yeah. is great. That's a very good score. It's a good score. Solid, yeah. All critics give it a 60%. The audience gives it a 93%, and top critics give it a 35%. So what the hell Emma Fife is going on? I think that a lot of the criticism I was hearing from critics was about the movie being incohesive and too blatantly setting up for a sequel. Hmm. Now, here's the thing is that a lot of anime, manga, Japanese stories in general, they end in a place where not everything's tied up. So to me, it there was a story that was told. The main villain in it was 
arguably it was it was Vector and then a little bit Grishka. Mm-hmm. Great, we dealt with both of them in the course of this movie. Yes, there's other problems that are still clearly going on in the universe in which Alita exists, but if it ends with her basically being like I know you're up there, Nova. And, okay, well, we can assume, yeah, sure, she's going to spend the rest of her life figuring out how to get up there and deal with him. We don't criticize... We don't necessarily need to see it. We don't criticize Star Wars A New Hope because it obviously sets up for Empire Strikes Back. Like, it's it's just stupid criticism. Yeah, you can't not like A New Hope because you're like, I know Empire's coming. The number of people that said that they didn't like Infinity War because it ended on a downer unresolved, it's like, you're an idiot. That's... This is, first of all, this is the 19th movie in a 20... Like, but not even that. Even even at the end of Infinity War, like, I even understand a little bit of the complaint there because it's like, it's so open-ended and all these heroes are dead and you know they're gonna this movie is complete yes. it's a complete film yeah you don't need to see her go fight no like you're saying that everything happens you get the love story and, it, and it's a sad story you get the bad story. guy dying you get like all you these get things the happen really great father-daughter story yes. between her yeah. and dr rito awesome if there's never another movie it will be a complete story now that being said this is the other thing we're going to talk about buying and selling of alita as a franchise before we do that just i want to just yeah. kind of point this out to everybody because some of you guys listening and watching, basically, Emma, you don't do any any written critique, right? You're not you're not uh, an accredited. Not, no, I'm not. So none of the three of us are, are influencing that number on Rotten no, Tomatoes. We're not. <laughs> but we're all basically the the we are one step removed from that number. <laughs> sure. Yeah. On any given day, one of us could get a gig that would put us on that radar. Absolutely. Because we're all seeing these movies early. We're all reviewing them. I mean, that's what we do. Um, that means 35, percent which means that 15 percent of top critics, 15 percent of that half, decided this movie was bad. It's 15 percent less than half. Right, if it was down the middle, fifty percent giving it a good score, fifty percent giving it a bad score. That's us. That's just the sure. three of us. Yeah, it would be a fifty percent movie. Yeah. that means that fifteen percent lower than that number thought this movie sucked and gave it a thumbs down, which is unbelievable considering ninety three percent. It's also us. We're the yes, fucking exactly. audience. Yeah, we're like the audience. we're the audience. And we're, then we're what in does both this categories. say? What does this say about what critics actually are anymore? I don't because isn't the critic the idea to sell a movie to your audience? And if your audience fucking loves this movie, then yeah. why am I reading what a critic's writing? It's I want to know what I'm going to enjoy. It is mind-blowing to me that we basically it's... qualify as both of these two categories, and it's this far apart for people. It's such a divisive movie. So anyway, you mentioned, though, Andrew, buying or selling James Cameron. I'm sorry, not James Cameron. That was last week. Buying or selling yeah. the Alita franchise. Uh, do you want to see the rest of this franchise, or don't you? Are you buying or selling? And do you actually, regardless of whether you do or don't want to, do you think it'll actually happen? And I'll hop in first, and I'll say, I don't think it will. I I think it's going to be a girl with the dragon tattoo situation, where, like, how badly I wanted Fincher to direct the whole entire franchise and trilogy or whatever it may have been. Um, I would love to see Rodriguez and Cameron team up for this entire whatever it could be. I, I just can't imagine it I, happening. I have to agree with you. Uh, I mean, I personally, if I had the money, I'd be like, yes, yes more, give it. it to me. Here's my money. Robert Rodriguez, I want to see you direct other uh, adaptations of like anime or manga properties. Um, all I could think watching it was, and, and I'm so off the Attack on Titan, like, train i'm not into that series at all anymore but like if robert rodriguez did a live action version of it i would be the first person in line to go see it um yeah i i thought this film was just so great and imaginative and and like the world building on it was so cool and so so much of iron city was practical yes Um, and it was uh, awesome it was so beautiful uh yeah it's such a bummer but i unless 
all of a sudden, like next weekend, all of China goes to see this. Yeah. Um, I, I unfortunately don't think um, that we're going to get any more. If it makes a lot of money in China, if this movie does really well, mm-hmm. maybe. But I think the problem is this movie was accidentally good anyway. Yeah, yeah, it was. I would have a hard time believing that a sequel would be accidentally as good or better. Sure. And to make a sequel work, you're going to spend at least 170 mm-hmm. Unless they cut the budget because it doesn't make enough money and they're like, you have to make this for 70 which doesn't work. No. Right. So I just I can't see a version of this sequel that is good. And I'm and it feels like with Norton being attached, it was like we got a whole nother movie written. You yeah. know, like there's yeah. there's a reason why we need to have you because it wasn't just like Ed Norton showed up for 20 minutes the last day of filming to get that last shot. No. He was in the movie a bunch of times throughout where they like it was like he probably committed to a couple weeks of coming in and shooting these scenes where he doesn't say anything. It's like the, I feel like the promise and the potential is there. Like, obviously, like we know James Cameron, he writes he's got five avatars in the works. Yeah, I would not be yeah. surprised if he has Alita 2's rough draft written. Sure. It just, it, yeah, it just feels like there's no way. Yeah, agreed. Um, maybe if they had had some Zahalu to this movie. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, all right, guys, we're going to keep moving through the show. Next up, we've got favorite line. Mm. Uh, I'm going to jump in first with my favorite line, okay. only because it was the one you guys referenced earlier, and it stuck with me the whole time, and it's fuck your mercy. I yeah. mean, is there another answer? It's the best line. <laughs> it's, it's so the it best line. It is the most James Cameron line of the whole movie, yep. yeah. but, like, I am here for it. And we know you get you get one F-bomb in a PG-13 yeah. movie, and it was just so oh, it was so good. well used. It was so sweet. Like, yeah. it just... It like totally was an actual fist bump. Drew and I both looked at each other like this is this is good. Yeah, She's just like hanging dope. out of his body by his eye socket. There's yeah. nothing left of her but her. Yeah, it's yeah. just it's just amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if you guys have a favorite line, let us know in the chat. <laughs> and uh, and my question here: Billy Belford, a big fan of the show, good friend of ours, and he's actually in charge of running. It's actually Billy Bedford. It's Bed- not. <laughs> That's not his name. <laughs> uh, he's in charge of running the Action Industries Facebook page. Oh, so, nice. uh, Billy, thank you so much. Thank you for your question. After Rodriguez and Cameron teamed up for Alita, what Hollywood personalities would you like to see team up next? It could be a producer and director or a director mm. and actor. Just two people who have never worked together before. That's an interesting question. Oh, what do you guys think? That is an interesting question. Jeez. Uh, I think the one that we have been saying on here for a long time, and I'll go with because I think it's a good idea, is that Nick Cage needs to be in a Quentin Tarantino yes. movie. Oh, That's actually what yeah. mine was. We've been saying it it for so long that it's like, how do we not have just a meaty, dark role that's been written for Nick Cage, directed by Tarantino, and he wins an Oscar for it, and he's back on the A-list map. And that's, like, it's this close, and it should have happened by now. I also also would take Nick Cage in a P.T. Anderson movie, either one. Yeah, I was going to say P.T. would be my secondary one. Honestly, for me, that's it. We've we've said it so many times. I want to see Nick Cage. I, I love Nick Cage. I grew up on Nick Cage. He's such a great actor. In so many moments, but not in the last decade. So, like, go into a great Tarantino movie or a Scorsese movie or something. Do something great. The chat's going crazy. I don't know if it's because we've talked about it so much. They all agree or what? (laughs) Well, I feel like Nick Cage, because that's the the thing about, like, Tarantino's movies being so stylized. Like, that Nick Cage, like, is that is that kind of guy. Like, yeah. he fits so perfectly, I he feel like, into Tarantino's. He could go be his weird self in a movie, Style, and it would yeah, shine definitely. so well. I think the other, I think the other pairing for me mm. that I would love to see would be, I would love to see Christopher Nolan direct Tom Cruise. Mm. I would love to see, because the scope, is, yeah. the scope of his movies are big enough, sure, and his characters are sort of polished and clean enough that he could, he could kind of get away with Cruise being pretty cruisy, I think, and it would still work. <laughs> yeah. He wouldn't need Cruise to be like, 
he just would like like Fincher would need Cruz to kind of go back to the '90s and be like mm-hmm. eyes wide shut like Magnolia Cruz. I don't think no one would need that. He could put Cruz in a suit as a little bit of like an Ethan Hunt character in some weird psychological thing. Yeah, and I think he could make it work. Yeah, and I would love to see that because yeah. he just needs to work with like really inventive directors who have such a strong vision that they'll overpower what he wants the movie to be. Yeah, and yeah. Nolan's one of the few guys I can think of that would just be like Tom Cruise. I'm big enough yeah, to make you shine. Yeah, you're gonna do the thing that I want you to do. Do what you used to do and listen to great directors, and don't just be a sub director on the movie. <sighs> yeah, right, like he listened to PT and Magnolia. Yeah, yeah. it's good performance like that. Yeah. Uh, do you have anyone I think, off the top of your head? I, I, off the top of my head, this is so weird. I think I, I think I came to this because they have both worked with Chris Pine, but I would love to see like Patty Jenkins and J.J. Abrams team up oh, on something. That would be you amazing. Know? Abrams produces and Patty Jenkins yeah, directs. Yeah, Yes. That would be so sick. Like some, like so a good, sick. like action sci-fi kind of like. Maybe they like hire her to do. Wasn't there like in Young Avengers or something a female Iron Man character? Yeah. Oh yeah, right? definitely. And maybe maybe you get that. And yeah. Then she brings, bring her to the fold. Oh, she changes team. She goes to the MCU. Yes. The Abrams produces. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, how yeah. about Sorkin and Denis Villeneuve? Ooh. You know how like like Sorkin's Ooh. written for Danny Boyle. Yeah, he's yeah. written for Fincher. You're getting me warm over here. <laughs> I like that. This. Would be crazy. I am so I am just so on the Denis Villeneuve train oh, right now. I just think he's such a wonderful director. Every casting announcement oh. on this Dune movie. Oh, I was, everyone got I their characters today. I was hyped about like, it oh. anyway, but god damn, I'm so excited. Dude, Liam Crowley here. Who big shot to Liam Crowley? He is our uh, PR coordinator for Action Industries. He suggests here uh, Ryan Coogler. And Idris Elba. Oh, oh wow. I would love to I see love Idris Elba that. in a Ryan Coogler movie. Like oh, hard man. Nose, hard nose drama. Yeah. yeah. We should have you back on for Dune. I think yeah. that'd oh, my be a God. Really I would episode. love to be on for any David Lynch Dune, Dune new Dune. Yeah. I am here. I've never seen the original Dune, to be honest. Oh, my God. It is like the most. It, it's so worth watching. Is it Sting the bad guy? Uh, yes, he, he is. is one yeah. of the bad yeah. guys. Yeah. 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 That I do know. Yeah, he's Fade Ruatha. That's so great. All right, so that's our AMA question. Uh, honestly, I think that's going to be very close to wrapping it up. Ben, there are three action movie categories. Totally ridiculous, totally legitimate, and ridiculously legitimate. They're kind of like totally ridiculous. Yeah. They're going to be movies like Con Air, Face Off, Demolition Man. They're real silly. They're mm-hmm. super awesome, but like, there's not a lot about them that keeps you engaged on a serious level. Uh, totally legitimate are going to be movies like Lone Survivor, Gladiator, The Fugitive. Like, They're pretty grounded, pretty dramatic. They don't really make you laugh unintentionally at any point. And then ridiculously legit is the middle category, which is a lot of the, sh- the movies on the show mm-hmm. predator the rock they're movies that point have, break yeah they've got <laughs> one, maybe a great character or maybe a great performance or a really good plot something that just kind of makes you feel like the movie's pretty legit but you know you laugh unintentionally here and there uh, i'm gonna hop in first and i'm gonna say this movie is gonna be our new kind of staple for ridiculously legitimate yeah because i yeah. think this movie needs to be ridiculously legitimate you need to have oh, the yeah. silly spider on the wall but also be like Oh yeah, because I'm in this badass world. Totally. Yeah. That makes sense. Yep. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I, th- to me, this is the definition of ridiculously legitimate because it works because it is so ridiculous. Yep. Yeah, right. I think if you tried to make this movie take itself any more seriously than it already did, yeah. it would be bad. Yeah, actively bad. Yeah. I I think it it towed that line of not taking itself too seriously, like perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, I don't think you really. I, you, I couldn't push it too far in either direction because totally no. ridiculous t- doesn't give credit to uh-uh. any of the best parts. Yeah, it feels like you're taken away from the emotion and the actual stakes yeah. in this. Like I, I truly thought that by the end of this film, uh, Ito would die. Yes. Anybody who told me this movie was totally legitimate, I wouldn't trust. No. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. That's so, very true. Um, but uh, those are going to be the categories. Uh, next up on the show, we've got one last segment left. It's called the, the pitch. pitch. <laughs> 
It's a thing that we do on here. Oh, yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. I like it. I'm just experiencing yeah, all of no, your little things. We never things. tell anyone about it. It's always super weird. Yeah. I remember when I did it by myself when we had uh, Mark Andreco and Ed Newmeyer, the writer <laughs> of Starship Troopers, on, and they were like, Cool. What the hell is this guy? Did that guy just growl into the yeah. microphone? <laughs> Yes, I did. Ed was like, I was going to bring you in for a film, but uh, <laughs> not anymore. Please move a little further towards the other side of the room. Um, this is where we talk about the movie we're going to do next week on the show. And uh, next week, we may have a special guest. Not sure confirming it now, but we are going to be doing a movie called, what do you got? Haha, <laughs> <laughs> Emma's face after she saw the pitch. <laughs> and it was actually on screen right when it happened. It was, it was pretty great. It was pretty great. Uh, sorry. <laughs> we're doing uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. We, yes. Uh, we've, we, honestly, Drew and I have still not seen this movie, which is funny considering we did an episode of the action guys called the definitive ranking of all spider-man movies right and we, we put did this just before this came out so we, you know, yeah, we, right. we skated we're by uh emma though has seen it I Emma, have. you want to give us a quick uh what do you think you think people are going to be really excited for this oh my god into the spider-verse was incredible i saw it and i'm sure many people watching at home have um i actually brought up mark andreco he and i had a conversation about it wherein we were like we don't ever need to see another live action superhero movie yeah it just it, it's the style again. I'm one of the things that I think we've been praising Alita for so much is the world of the film and just how like visually engaging it is. Spider Verse is unbelievable. It is like a comic book come to life. Uh, the performances are absolutely outstanding. You're going to be talking about Mahershala again. Um, oh really? Oh yeah, he's in it. Oh cool. Uh, and it's it, so is, it is yeah, and oh. and Nick Cage is great in it. By the way, it was the perfect yes. usage of Nick Cage. He's um, yeah, it, it's great. We can't wait. I think you're yeah, I'm super excited. It's going to win Best Animated Film at the Oscars oh, before we do to. the episode. Yes. Yeah. So we're really excited next week to talk about it on the show. Are the Oscars this weekend? They yeah. are. Oh, my gosh. They're on yeah, Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, guys, last couple things to talk about. We mentioned Action Industries. I just want to go down the list, give some shout-outs to a few names here. Um, yeah, I'm not going to go too much in every position. We teased a couple positions people are helping us with, but just some names. Uh, this is the this is the Action Advisory Board is yes. what we're calling this. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to give uh, Billy Bedford just kidding. Billy Belford, Brandon Hanna, Daniel Sala, Emma McAllister, Eric Frederick, Hunter Ray Chambliss, James Spence, Caleb Coho, Liam Crowley, Matt Kearns, Michael Blankenship, Paul Denuso, Richard Eric Jarvie, and Will McLean. That's like John McLean. Yeah. That is the Action Advisory Board. All of you fine people are helping us coordinate this new thing on the ground as we develop it. I was be... like, I recognize most of those yep. names from the Schmodown Patreon. They're all <laughs> amazing, amazing supportive people, as Emma yes. knows, who runs the Patreon. Emma is also the runner of Patreon. She's also the commissioner of the Team League Team and Intergeekdom. And, Intergeekdom. Yeah. and she also does so much content on her own. Go find yeah. her everywhere online at Emma Fife. And yes. thank you so much for coming yeah, on. Thanks. You were this was a blast. Yeah. yeah, I had a great time. Yeah, this was great to have you. So you guys, stay tuned. Uh, check out the uh, Collider Podcast Network for our other show this week. We'll talk some more about it there. And uh, without further ado, I think we, we sign off. I think we do. All right. All right. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.